everyone. There is no junior church kids, so if you didn't get one, there are bulletins for you to fill out so that you can get candy afterwards. Um, I have a couple things I need to say. First and foremost, those were hilarious jokes. You need to laugh. Those were great. And from now on, Nick's writing my jokes. Okay? Plus, he had a great hairdo. I don't know if you noticed. That was just slick. Um, I wish I could do it, but I can't get my arm up that high just yet. Um, the main announcement I want to say, we have a couple new members, and they don't want to come forward, so I don't want you to expect that, but they're sitting right there. Ben is there, Dempsey, right behind Tracy Prosser. I don't want to point him out, but they're right there. Okay, so um, brand new family members to the... Oh, he even waved. Yeah, okay, they did not want the attention, so thank you. Um, usually when somebody places membership or comes up and is, is immersed into faith, we all will hear the... Um, the confession of faith. And as I was thinking of them and we were talking about it, I was like, you know, it's something we probably should say every now and then anyway. So I'm going to ask that if you are a believer in faith, um, that you are a follower of Christ, that we just say this together. So I'm going to say it, and if you'd repeat, um, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, my Lord and Savior. What a great affirmation that is, isn't it? That it's not just one or two, that it is all of us. That we're joined together as a family. That is exciting. So um, one of the things that I grew up not liking was history. Um, part of the problem with history is some of the people who teach history teach it like one of the teachers on Ferris Bueller, who's just, and then they went over the river. And it's... It's dull. But history is very vivid. It is very active. And since summer is here, since the kids are not in school, I'm going to teach you a little history. Okay? So, but this is probably history you have never heard. There are lots of people throughout history who have done great things, and yet their deeds, their names have been forgotten. How many of you have ever heard the name Charles de, um, de Londres? That's right. Charles de Landes. In 1811, Charles de Landes, a Haitian slave, gathered somewhere between 200 and 500 other slaves in an attempt to overthrow and seize New Orleans. You knew that? Okay, he thinks he's heard of it. Good. Okay, so... It was a very orchestrated attempt with realistic goals, but eventually, because they were just armed with spears or knives, they were taken out with higher um, gunpowder. Uh, he was brutally tortured and executed, as, long, as well as many of his followers, they, where they cut their heads off, placed them on spikes along the Mississippi River, and the line, he's like, yeah, I knew this, the line of heads was almost 50 miles long. Yeah, but they don't teach that. A lot of places won't teach that. Uh, many speculate the uprising is obscured in history books because the idea of organized slaves with sophisticated ideas about freedom and independence didn't fit into that time period. How many of you have ever heard of Sybil Ludington? No? Okay, good. Okay, she was 16 years old when she rode 40 miles on horseback back in April, 8, April 1777 
to warn her father's troops about a British attack on Danbury, Connecticut. A messenger brought news of the attack to Sybil's father, Colonel Henry Ludington. He started calling his troops together, but it was late at night. They were scattered all across town. The messenger was worn out, so he asked his daughter, Sybil, to spread the word to, to his men. She traveled through rainy um, woods over rugged roads and, until near dawn and even outrode Paul Revere in spreading the news. We've all heard of Paul Revere, but here's a 16-year-old girl who outrode him spreading the news. The British burned Danbury before the colonel's men got there, but his troops still got there and bravely fought. Later on, George Washington himself praised Sybil's heroism for her role in the war. Isn't that a name to remember? I have one more. Deborah Sampson. She became a hero of the American Revolution when she disguised herself as a man and joined the Patriot Forces. She was a woman who earned a full military pension, first woman, for her participation in the Revolutionary Army. In 1782, she disguised herself as a man and called herself Robert um, Shirtleff. And I think she should have come up with a better name, but... She joined the 4th Massachusetts Regiment. At West Point, New York, she was assigned to Captain George Webb. If you've heard that name. His company of light infantry. She was given the dangerous task of scouting neutral territory to assess British buildup of men and material in Manhattan. George Washington contemplating attacking, and because of her report, they changed their plans. For over two years, her true gender escaped detection despite very close calls. She received a gash on her forehead from a sword. She was shot in her left thigh, where she went into her own tent and took the bullet out so nobody would know her gender. She was ultimately discovered in Philadelphia when she became ill during an epidemic, was taken to a hospital when she lost consciousness, and then she was found out. But she, in October 23, 1783, she received an honorable discharge. These are names that have done great things that we don't know anything about. There are hundreds of names, um, people who have done things that we don't know about. Today, we're going to look at a disciple that we don't know anything about. As we look at the disciples, Jesus that calls into his uh, following him, James, the son of Alphaeus, is basically an unknown Disciple, Yet he's still an important member of the 12 apostles. That's not supposed to be up yet. I put it in the wrong spot. So you already know the next plate. There you go. There are multitudes of books written about the ministry efforts of great servants of God. Some of you have heard the names like a Billy Graham, Bill Hybels, uh, Rick Warren, Max Lucado, and, and there's several others of people who are out there. They have podcasts, written books, and videos. And many people have been great servants of God. They're well-respected. They transform the way people think about God and church and ministry. They followed these footsteps of longtime big names, the line that began in the New Testament era with these 12 men who were called to follow Jesus as disciples. Peter, James, John, John the sons of Zebedee, James and John, Matthew, Thomas, Andrew. These are names we've heard of. If I'm talking about Thomas, one of the disciples, what do you know him as? Doubting Thomas. What is Peter's real name? 
Simon, see, you know these things. These are the names which come to mind quickly when we think about disciples. We know quite a bit about them. But then there are some we don't know hardly anything about, like James, son of Alphaeus. How many of you before this have ever heard his name? Look at that. we got some people who know how to read the Bible. Thank you. I'm going to tell you something. I've read his name and knew nothing about him. And so when I was looking at this, I even told Dustin, I read this. I'm like, I don't want to do this sermon. I don't know anything about him. I'm going to find a better disciple to do. And then I kept feeling God saying, no, go back to him. Go back to him. So finally, yes. So how much do we know about this disciple? Well, we're going to find his name in four places in Scripture. That's it, only four. And I'm going to read all four of them to you. In Mark 3, 16 through 19, this is the big passage. There are twelve disciples he, meaning Jesus, chose. Simon, who he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed the, the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. If you go to Matthew 10.3, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and then Thaddeus. Luke 6.15, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot. This is where the gospel lists the 12 different disciples of Jesus. And, Nate and James keeps appearing in this list. The fourth time we find his name is in Acts 1, verse 13. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house they were staying. And they, they was the disciples. Here are the names of those who are present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. That's all we know. That's what we know of James, this James. Four occasions, one name on a list of names, and that's it. In a day and age where we um, have our names displayed everywhere, on public, through social media, TikToks, and other things, we have media that hounds celebrities, and when we can find out so much about people, you can Facebook stalk people. And you know what that means. You go and see who they're friends with. You see what their posts are. Then you go see what the friends are and what they've done together so you get an idea of who they are. It seems so strange that James, son of Alphaeus, is given so little attention. He is a disciple of Jesus. Jesus personally called him. And I think that's a very important title, distinction, position to hold. But that's all we know. Except for his nickname. We read in a few where, you know, Jesus gave Simon a new nickname, which was Peter. He called James and John the sons of thunder. Well, James has another nickname, not from Jesus, but through the years of study and all that. People called him James the lesser, James the minor, James the little. Isn't that a great name? you got the Sons of Thunder in Little James, which tells you what society of, of studies of theologians really thought. There's not much to know about him, so he's the lesser of the James. So what do we do after looking at four verses that mention his name? What do we do? Because there's not much more about him. Well, let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These verses right here tell us something about what the church is. And that God's church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And the chief cornerstone, they lay it first. It's perfectly leveled. Everything gets laid out from the chief cornerstone. And so the, the apostles and the prophets are the ones who go out from Jesus here. And what the apostles and prophets did was the foundation of our faith in the church. If James were here today, James, son of Alphaeus, he could look at the worldwide community of believers and say, it is because of my ministry you are here. That's a pretty important position. It is because he obeyed Christ that he followed, he chose to become a disciple, and then God promoted into apostleship that he is in the saints, and it's part of the foundation of the church. Think about how they became apostles, Um, got together in Acts 1, starting verse 21. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas, the one who betrayed him. Uh, From among those who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. This is the criteria to be one of the apostles. They had to be with Jesus from the beginning of John's baptism of him until he was taken up to heaven. Three years they had to be with Jesus from baptism until ascension. And since James' name is listed as disciple and apostle... We know he was there with Jesus the whole time. James witnessed firsthand the the things we read about and can only imagine. He heard the tone of Jesus' voice as he bent down and, and drew in the sand and he said, You, without sin, cast the first stone. He got to see the facial expressions of Jesus when the rich young ruler walked away. He witnessed Jesus' tears of sadness, the smiles that came upon his face when the children were brought into him. He got to see how Jesus lit up when somebody was blind and turned to sight. The cripple walking, the dead coming to life. James was one of the privileged few who got to enjoy this full experience, wonderful life experience with Jesus. And because of that, James has an important position in his ministry. It is far beyond anything we will experience today. And all we know about him is his name and the name of his dad. Pretty much all we know of him. But I think that's enough because it put him in Scripture. Because the lack of information actually encourages us in our service to God and our response to his love. There's a lot of people ask, well, how does a book get to be in the Bible? And there was a long, tedious process where they're trying to figure out which books could be in there. And there are lots of other books which are not claimed to be scripture. Some of them are good stuff in them, but they're not divinely inspired. And that's why they're not in there. But let's, let's just for a moment imagine that there were other books in there. We'd have the biography of Bartholomew, the story of Simon Peter, and the journal 
of James, son of Alphaeus. These books could give us really extensive accounts of the actions of each of these apostles, the places where they set up churches, a list of more names of people who were converted by their ministry, the persecution they were suffering, and on and on. I mean, just think about all the information that we could have firsthand accounts of, and it would be fascinating. But it would also be very discouraging. How could we dare to call ourselves disciples compared to such examples as those? When I read about what great men and women of faith do, I'm like, oh my goodness, I pale in comparison. But that's not what the Bible does. In some ways, it does quite the opposite. While we have a reasonable amount of information about people like Peter and John, it's not an autobiography. In fact, when it comes to the disciples, Judas is fourth on the list of terms of amount of passages given to him. There's more about Judas the betrayer than there is about James, son of Alphaeus. And not only are the disciples' every action not recorded, what is recorded isn't really that flattering. Number of occasions where Jesus was teaching parables and the disciples just didn't get it. They would ask afterwards what he meant. On one occasion, look what Jesus says when they ask this in Mark 7 18. Are you so dull? How, how would you like Jesus to say that to you? Jesus, I just want clarification on this. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? Can you not comprehend the simple another time the disciples were in a boat? A storm came on the disciples, and, and they were scared, and they woke Jesus up. He was sleeping in the boat. And they were fearful because they thought they were going to drown. Jesus calms the storm, and then he chastises them. He kind of yells at them. And look what it says. Jesus responded in Matthew eight twenty six. Why are you afraid? You have little faith. Got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. Notice it was in the middle of the storm. He calls attention to their faith. Hey, James, son of Alphaeus, where's your faith? Hey, James, son of Alphaeus, why are you so dull? Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he has a bit of a, this gathering with his disciples. By this time, they've been with him for th over three years, daily hearing his teachings, daily watching his ministry having recently realized that they serve a resurrected Savior. Yet even at the very end, they do not understand because they ask Jesus, is this the time you're going to ride into Israel and restore the kingdom of Israel? They didn't get it. When it comes to living out our faith, how many of you get it? Yeah. Because we're not perfect, are we? We, we know the idea, we know some of the information, but how many of us get it so well that we do it? Thankfully, we're in the same boat as those disciples. They didn't always get it. James, son of Alphaeus, would, was among them. But here's the point. Even though they didn't get it, Jesus still invites them, encourages them, and sends them to bring the gospel to people and to be his co-workers. These guys weren't perfect. They weren't the, um, stacked high theologians. They weren't the, having degrees and all this experience. And yet, through their failings, yet through their little faith, through being dull, Jesus still invites, encourages, and sends them out 
as his co-workers to bring the gospel. That makes me feel better. That I don't have to be this top-notch person for Jesus to say, now I can use you. As we look around this room, I see a group of disciples that God has called. Each one of us as an individual in a crown. We have our own faults and the sins we try to hide from one another. There are times when we don't understand the word. The word that Jesus is trying is saying to us. Doubts, angers, frustration, hypocrisy, jealousy, selfishness, pride, and a whole list of other ungodly actions have been a part of our life probably in just this last week. We have histories which are unpleasant. We carry guilt about actions long since past. We have secrets that we guard in, in fear of judgment. That is our situation. Yet Jesus, in His grace and love, still invites you, still encourages you, and wants to send you out as His co-worker to bring the gospel to more people. Through His death and resurrection, Jesus was able to remove the guilt of sin the consequences of sin, the punishment of sin, and made alive, and we are made alive through Him, through the shedding of His blood, of the blood of Christ, we are able, even though we chose rebellion and separation, to be brought back into the family of God. We are given a new start by being adopted into a completely different family, just like James, son of Alphaeus. Through Jesus' willingness to take on the agony and being forsaken by Father God, Jesus was able to protect us from the wrath and judgment of God. We need to understand we were snatched back from the jaws of hell. And through Jesus' willingness to humble himself and become one of us, our Lord did what was necessary to open the way for eternal life, and we are given eternal comfort and hope in that process. That's what Jesus has done for us, and it makes for a very powerful story no matter who we are and no matter what our background is. And that means we can be involved in God's work just like James, son of Alphaeus. All the stories in the world, all the achievements of others, the sacrifices of others that they have made is not going to change the fact that Jesus has called you. He didn't perfect you and then call you. He didn't teach and lead you and then say, come. He said, come now. He called you just like he did James, son of Alphaeus, lesser James. We who are his disciples have to make one of two choices. Either believe in Jesus and follow, or deny Jesus and sit back down. We can look at the ministries of people like Peter, Paul, Barnabas. We can look at the ministries of famous ministers today. We can look at what is considered to be effective ministries of people in our churches and Christians have contact with. We can look at all of those people. And, and if you do that, I, I, read, I read lots of blogs and stuff about how to be effective in leading uh, bigger churches. And, and I can look at them and say, you know what, I can never do that. Man, I can never be like that. I can never say it like this. I can, where's the focus in that? It's on me. James, son of Alphaeus, James the Lesser wasn't focused on himself there. He was focused on Jesus called this. Jesus said this. Jesus commanded this. And that's what we need to be. Ministry is effective when we focus on Jesus. I always think I would never be able to do what they're doing. I have so many weaknesses. 
There is so much about the Bible that we don't know, that I'm I don't know of. I'm afraid people will ask, how many of you ever thought this? I'm afraid somebody will ask a question about the Bible that I don't know. I, I want to tell you something. Here's the answer to that. Look it up. It's not a pop quiz that you have to pass right now. They ask you a question that you don't know? That's a great question. Let me go look it up and I'll come back to you next week. That's an awesome response. You didn't hear that from me. You heard that from another minister who told another minister who told me. Okay? That's not my brilliant idea. That was some other great servant. What if I say the wrong thing? I don't want to mess it up. I'll just leave it to others. We could do all those things, but if we do that, we are denying the essence of what Jesus has called in each one of us. When I purposely hear and know God wants me to go say something, wants me to go do something in ministry, and I say, I just don't think I can, I don't think that's right, I am basically saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. There's someone better. You need to do it that way. And really what I'm doing is elevating myself above God. James, the lesser, didn't do that apparently. At least not a lot. We need to see that we are very much like James, son of Alphaeus, who represents the vast majority of people who are players in the kingdom, yet whose actions are unrecorded and unknown. I heard so many people say, I could just never get up and preach. I've heard some of them, right, they shouldn't. That, whoa. I heard people say, I just can't get up and lead songs. Amen, that's right, you can't. Don't even hum, okay? I heard people say, I just couldn't go be a missionary. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's what God calls you, not what you think you're going to do. I am not a great preacher, but somehow God speaks through this loud mouth. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. There is not enough knowledge and compassion and peace and love and everything in this. But there is in God. And somehow he works through this and brings out him. Imagine if we all would just do that. Just obey and say, okay, God, whatever you want. This means Jesus is glad to have us as his co-workers, even when we have weaknesses and shortcomings. Don't think you have to have it all together. Let me tell you right now, no one has it all together especially the people leading ministry. We can be effective disciples because and only because of the power of the gospel. The ability of Jesus is to bring transformation to their lives through him, not us. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to write down your story. I would love for you to write down your own story. Tonight I'm speaking at campfire at the camp. And so, if you're playing softball, I won't be there to jeer you on. I'm sorry. But I'm going to go and, and talk to these kids, these students, about what God has called in my life and, and what I thought of that. And each one of you can do it. There are so many times I've heard people say, well, I don't have a testimony as powerful as theirs. Did God call you? Did He redeem you? Did He restore you? Nothing is more powerful than that. Whether you were in drugs and and stealing and murder. It doesn't matter what you are in. You were in sin. God called. He moved you here. That's a powerful story. 
there is a good chance that your story won't become a best-selling book. Most likely, we'll all stand in line with James, son of Alphaeus, who represents a long line of disciples whose stories are unrecorded and unknown. And it will be a story full of mistakes, failing, second chances, missed opportunities, and yet that is okay. Others might not see the story we write, but Jesus does, and he will bless you for it. I, I really want you to hear that. People in the church may never know the story of your faith. You may never get credit from it, for it from people, and that is okay, because Jesus does, and he will. How do I know this? Because one day he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the great thing about that, that's not a private conversation. That's in front of the multitudes of heaven. That's in front of all of creation. God is, uh, Jesus is going to say to God the Father, this one is mine, well done, come home. And everyone will know at that point, if, you, if they're not going to know here, we will then. There's two passages that I think we need to really look at. Uh, quickly, The first one is from Revelation 21. Here John is describing a new heaven and a new earth. And in this vision about the new Jerusalem, look what it says in verse 14. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Whose names? The twelve apostles, including James, son of Alphaeus. A person who is barely mentioned in the Bible is going to get the same recognition as Peter, James, and John. He is inscribed and immortalized on the very foundation of the new Jerusalem. Don't think he's important? Man, I had to take a, a seat on that one. And as I was sitting there, I'm like, well, my name's never going to be written on that wall. So our names are not going to be written on the foundation walls of heaven, but they are written somewhere in heaven. You can read about this in chapter 20 of Revelation, starting verse 11. He says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake, this lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was recorded or was thrown in the lake of fire. You may feel like a no-name when it comes to your faith. Like you don't matter, like nothing is ever happening, that your story of faith, your journey doesn't mean anything. When you have your name in the book of life, you are a part of a wonderful partnership. You get to experience real life. Even though your ministry might be unknown by most people, even if you have a discipleship story that isn't recorded or remembered, you will be taken by the hand that stood before a great multitude from every tribe and nation and people and language. And the Lord will look at you as a disciple and say, this one is mine. Don't you want to live for that? It's not about what we have here. It's what God says we are in Him. You will be named and you will fully be known. And for that, I think, 
the ministry of James, son of Alphaeus. I started a sermon with a few names most people have never heard of, except for Jesse, he knew one. I have a few more names, and some of you might know these names. Barton and Eva Sheffer. Uh, here's a, a pick of them. Anybody know their names? These uh, people helped plant this church and served it throughout their life. Uh, there's, here's a picture. Joshua um, Lonsberry. He was one of the first elders in that building, which is right next door here. He was one of the first elders here at St. Joe Church of Christ. These people, along with so many others, their names have been forgotten to the history of this church. These people have been lost and forgotten through time, and yet we sit here, continuing on almost 150 years later because of their great devotion and love and obedience to God. They've long been forgotten here. But they are rewarded in heaven. And imagine the line of people that can come to them and say, you know, I got to hear the message of Christ. I got to be baptized in that little old St. Joe church. Thank you for being faithful servants. Because of what you did, it brought this person to faith, and then this person to faith, and this person who finally came and got me. All because of them. And if you look past them, those names, you can go all the way back to James, son of Alphaeus. One day, we are going to be in heaven. And I have so many people I need to thank for making sure I got to hear the message of Christ. And along the way, I need to make sure that everybody that I talk to can point their lives back to Christ. Just like James, son of Alphaeus, who I'm going to say is one of the great disciples. And I'm thankful for it. And this church is full of some great disciples who God is working in. God is working in. God is working through. Thank you. And for those who are not that, not changing, why not accept the call to become that disciple? Let's stand and let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are not in this alone, that you have constantly consistently called us. That you have sought after us, that you restore us. When we fail, you still help us back up. God, through the years, we can see the, the line of your hand, the, the workmanship of your will, and how you brought it into our lives. And God, I thank you for that. Forgive us when we take our eyes off of you and look to this world. Help us, God, right now to remember that James, son of Alphaeus, is one of your chosen ones, that you've given the distinct honor of being a, an apostle whose name is written on the walls, the foundation wall of heaven. Thank you, God, for writing our names in the book of life when we come and live our life. Give it, submit it to you. 
promise not to look at the so-called successful things in this world, but to only look at you. So we can all be true disciples living after you. We say this, we pray this, and we will sing this next song in your name. Amen.